0: Hello, I'm Nick Kitchen, and welcome to LSE Ideas. There's been a huge amount of discussion about the role of social media in recent mass protests.
1: Social media was very important in the Yevromaidan in Ukraine and it was uh, an important mechanism in possibly informing, mobilizing and motivating uh, protesters. Um, But more interestingly, um, the Yevromaidan was actually about uh, a cross-class, cross-coalition Um, uh, group of protesters, and not just the youth and the millennials, as was initially envisioned um, by much of the media reports. So what I found in a recent survey I conducted, that the average age of protesters was actually 36, and there were three distinct groups protesting in the Evromaidan. Those that were under the age of 30, the youth and students. The next group was 30 to 55, this middle-class, middle-aged, and actually saw themselves as the most important and most efficient protesters, and then the those over 55 who saw themselves as the guardians, um, the retired, the grandparents, who saw as the guardians of the protesters.
0: One of the interesting things to think about here is, as you let off, and you said there's been so much discussion lately about the role of social media. And social media, I think, is exciting to people to talk about. It's exciting to think about. It's something that people who are outside of protest can grasp onto because people know what Facebook is. They know what Twitter is. But one of the really interesting things is... is So much of what we know and what we think we know about the role of social media in protests has largely been anecdotal from reporting by journalists or looking at one particular tweet that goes viral or people talking about using social media. And what's been fascinating at the conference today is that so Olga was able to present data from her survey about social media usage, where she was able to sort of ask protest participants if they're using social media and be able to get you know, real measures of people's engagement with social media before coming to protests. My lab, the Social Media and Political Participation Lab, or the SMAP Lab at NYU, we've actually been collecting the social media data itself that people used. So we now have a collection from just basically the 100 days of the Euromaidan protests from from the the end of November until the end of February, end of November 2013 until the end of February 2014. We have a data set that's, depending on how you scrub it, is about between eight and nine million tweets that's relevant and related to this protest. So we're talking about large, large numbers of people taking to social media to discuss what's going on in the protest. Moreover, we've also been able to scrape some of the public Facebook pages that are out there. So the Euromaidan Facebook page, which is the sort of primary organizing tool that was used to get people out into the street, we have numbers on this where we can show that there were millions millions of people who liked posts on these pages. But even more impressively, there were 2.2, we have 2.2 million shares of the posts that appeared on this page. So what that means is that over 2 million times, people who were interested in these protests took information that was from that page and shared it with their social networks, with their friends, and made that information available to them. So what we have is a sort of peer-to-peer network that's going on here, where people are able to take information that comes from a sort of centralized organizer, and they're able to share it with friends and get it into their social networks, which then, as Olga shows in her survey data, one of the ways that people got very motivated to participate in these protests was when they were invited by a friend on Facebook, when a friend notified them on Facebook. The other really interesting thing that we can do now by looking at this Twitter data is we can begin to look at the way, a couple things happen. One, we can look at the way that it varies with the real world events that are going on, the offline events that are going on in terms of protests. But the other thing we can look, is we can look at sort of the networks and how people are getting involved and how people are sharing information. And we can look at the extent to which networks are kind of flat where there's lots of people sharing information kind of equally or networks are more hierarchical, where again you have, just like there was a Euromaidan Facebook page, there's also a Euromaidan Twitter feed. And we can track how different networks revolve around this information. Um, And the the things we're sort of learning from this at this point in time is that, while yes, we have a situation where lots of people are taking to social media to comment on the protests, find out about the protest, to learn more about what's going on, we still often see very sort of tight clumps of networks based around uh, this uh, Euromaidan Twitter feed, but also based around sort of traditional news media sources. So one of the things that's being done with social media is sharing links to traditional news media that's reporting on the protest. But another thing that's being done on it is sharing information that comes from the people who are sort of trying to organize a lot of the resistance in in the Maidan. So there's obviously a lot of data out there that, that you can pull down you know, from the social media sites themselves, and we're adding to this survey data. What are the implications of actually having this research out there for, for policymakers and practitioners, but also for protesters and the regimes themselves?
1: Well, I, thank you for that question. It's a really great one. Um, I think twofold. What, the neat thing about both Josh's and, and my research is that there's a lot of assumptions about protest. There's a lot of assumptions about social media, and there's a lot of assumptions about how social networks also motivate and mobilize protesters. Um, We're trying to get at that in a little bit more detail. And the on-site protest participant survey helps us get to those involved in protests very close to when they made the decision to join in, and that's very difficult to do otherwise, um, months or years after the fact and other types of surveys. And in this particular survey, it provides policymakers an inside view into those people who were, were so discontented with the past regime, so discontented with the politics of the Yanukovych regime, but also the direction in which Ukraine was going, that they went out to protest and it really gives us an idea. Of who they were, their age, um, their occupation, a lot of, of a variety of information that then policymakers could hopefully use to design policies that may actually help unite a very divided country currently. Moreover, in terms of I work for many years with a variety of NGOs and activists and uh, we know that different types of protesters use social media for instance differently. So those that joined protests uh, from the very early stages, the early joiners, these uh, were these protesters were much more likely to use social media. Um, whereas we see a, a slightly different pattern, not that social media is insignificant, but a different pattern of usage in the late joiners and also people who had less protest experience. So that can help a, a variety of NGOs and activists in the way that they use social media to mo- mobilize individuals to join in, the way that they disseminate information, and also potentially to a variety of other organizations that want to use these same uh, media and for different reasons.
0: Yes, I agree. I think it's tremendously exciting for a couple reasons. One, there's a sort of basic scientific question that motivates us. We want to understand why people participate in politics. And the world, and essentially, has changed in that there is now this new tool out there, or there's new space for contention, however you want to look at it. But we now live in this social media world. I mean, one out of seven people on the planet is on Facebook. It's an enormous number. We've got hundreds of millions of people on Twitter, not not to mention Instagram and 800 other platforms where people can be. And so, on the one hand, we want to understand the basic science of it, and that's one of the reasons that uh, the research of my lab is sponsored by the US's National Science Foundation. In terms of the implications and the policy implications, right? if we start to be able to take the social media data, and in this case, we're very fortunate because of Olga's survey went into the ground at the same time, we can combine this with the survey data that she's done. But if we can start to be able to say like, yes, this actually is a protest where social media plays an important role, then we can begin to characterize whether there's anything different about protests that emerge from social media. It may be the case that social media is simply fulfilling roles that were played by traditional media in the past, like newspaper and television. If that's the case, then there's nothing new that policymakers need to think about responding to in these types of protests. It's no different from protests that occurred 20 years ago or 10 years ago. But on the other hand, if there, it has been hypothesized that social media and protest movements are gonna have a different character to them, that they emerge much faster, that they can bring people onto the streets unexpectedly without the telltale warning signs that would have been present previously. Like if you think, in the past that lots of protests were brought about by labor movements, unions, right? You want to anticipate protests, you can look to the labor unions. You can talk to labor union leaders. The state has some tools. Outside actors have some tools to anticipate whether there's likely to be instability in France, you know, in the coming months or something like that. If these social media movements are different from this in that they're not tied to these offline organizations, but instead are brought about by online organizations like the Euro Facebook page, the Euro Maidan Twitter feed, right? If that's what's the key to getting these organized, it points to policymakers who want to understand when we're likely to have instability, when we're likely to have protests. It points different directions where they may want to look. And the promise of social media, whether it's realized or not, is another matter, but the promise is that you might be able to have a new place to look where you could, in real time, electronically, be sort of monitoring this to get a sense of when you think you're going to get, arrive into these particular situations. And I think that potentially is useful. The other thing is it's been hypothesized again that social media movements might be less likely to have durability, right? Because you bring people together so quickly, you can bring lots of people with disparate interests together to protest at the same time, and then if it doesn't go well, they just sort of fade and disappear, leaving nothing behind. Now, I'm actually not particularly sympathetic to that approach. I think the electronic organization that you leave behind actually is a tool unto itself. But it's also been hypothesized that even if these movements are successful, in overthrowing the regime or leading to change, and and in particular in these kind of hybrid authoritarian regimes, that what follows there may be people who don't have a lot in common because they didn't have these time to smooth out their differences before. Again, that would have huge implication for policymakers thinking about how to deal with these new regimes looking to stability in the future. But the first step to doing this is to get beyond the anecdotal descriptions of just saying, oh yeah, I saw something about this on Twitter, or look, at, here's a Facebook page that has 100,000 likes, and to really try to figure out, are there the connections between social media and what's happening on the ground? And, and I think we were both excited today, because I think in parts of our research we both felt like we were taking steps towards demonstrating that those links did exist.
1: Joshua Tucker, I'll
0: go on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much.